0: You're listening to the Geeks Interrupted Podcast. You can listen to us live every Monday night from 8pm Eastern Time on 94.1 FM in Melbourne or via 3wbc.org.au. Alternatively, if you've got a smart device, you can download the TuneIn app and search for 3WBC. 94.1 FM, 3WBC. (laughs) This is the Geeks Interrupted Podcast and discussing the week in tech, geek, gadgets, entertainment and pop culture... It's Phil Edwards, Daniel Olivares, and your host, Andy Bloom.
1: Well, good evening. Welcome. You're listening to Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM 3WBC. Coming up tonight, the ACCC. They've blocked the TPG Vodafone merger. Instagram posts a serious business, as one Melbourne cafe owner has found. Google and Microsoft have held major conferences over the week with some interesting announcements. Starbucks, they've received free advertising on Game of Thrones. And we remember actress Peggy Lipton. My name is Andy Bloom, your host for this evening, and joining me in the studio is my regular co-hosts, Phil Edwards and Daniel Olivares. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are we?
2: Doing well. How how are we? Not too bad at all. Good evening, guys. How's it hanging?
1: To the left. Mm, Like most of us. Let me check. It's Okay. (laughs) Exactly, to the left. Uh, This is Geeks Interrupted. As the nice voiceover man said, the next two hours are going to be filled with tech news, geek, gadgets, pop culture, TV, film, entertainment, and anything else that we can jam into the program. We're going to get straight into it uh, with some feedback and follow-up. We had a tweet which came in from Mr. Dom, and he didn't actually say much uh, in the tweet, but he posted a link to a story... Uh, from Z, uh, ZDNet Zednet,
2: or ZNet? Uh, Z or Zay? I'm making up names how you pronounce Z- it. Z- Z- ZDNet. ZDNet, Z-D-Net. Uh, They, uh, they, they had an
1: article about TBG. We're going to be talking about TBG a bit later. Uh, but the article uh, spoke that uh, TBG is still the king of NBN speed. And this was according to an ACCC report. And we've spoken about this before. Um, I'm not going to go uh, into it too much. We've got a lot to go through tonight. I was going to put this in as a news item, but I figured that there wasn't much to talk about and reasons of timing. But um, Mr. Dom did mention it, and he just basically scoffed at the report. Quote, scoff.
2: Exactly. So what do we think? Um, I read the article. It's just...
1: Nothing new. Well, from.
2: I don't know why we're reading this from Mr. Dom in the first place, because I'm pretty sure we permanently banned him. Now We're look, not meant to be reading his tweets.
3: Without going into great detail, I looked at the report and from the ACCC, and it seemed to only show 50, 20 speeds for... Something
2: or, like that. Yeah. It was
3: only one speed tier, where a lot of the other um, providers were given multiple speed tiers. So I wonder if there was a better breakdown that would might um, provide differing results but still good on tpg
1: there we go and thank you very much uh, mr dom uh, for sending that feedback if you would like to get in contact with us uh, for any reason whatsoever there are many ways you can do so uh first up you can visit our website geeksinterrupted.fm while you're there you can send us an email perhaps uh, leave us a voicemail you can also subscribe to the podcast check out past show notes and That's about it, really. Absolutely. It's a pretty shitty website.
2: We're on a budget.
1: We are. We're on a very, very tight budget. Uh, We are also on uh, the social medias. Uh, We are on uh, Instagram at Geeks On Air. We're also on Facebook. Facebook Facebook.com forward slash Geeks Interrupted. And on Twitter. At Geeks On Air. That's right. So don't forget to follow us and uh, stay up to date with everything we don't post. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's move into some uh, follow-ups. got quite a few follow-ups to go through this week. Mm. First of those is Samsung and the Galaxy Fold. Samsung are planning to cancel customer orders for its Galaxy Fold. Uh, This week, the company contacted all customers who pre-ordered a Galaxy Fold via email, advising them that a number of issues were still being addressed and that the delivery date has still not been confirmed. Customers are given the option of confirming their pre-order However, those who don't confirm or don't respond by May 31st will have their pre-order cancelled automatically. The email also points out that customers won't be charged until their devices are shipped. Last month it was reported some units sent to reviewers developed faults, were easily broken or had been inadvertently damaged. This saw some tech journalists question the fold's durability and ability to withstand normal day-to-day use. Samsung had planned to launch the device on April 26th mm. So I kind of get the impression this suggests uh, that if they're saying we're going to automatically cancel your pre-order uh, If you don't say you want it it suggests that number one the phone isn't ready to go out into the wild and number two Samsung don't have a great deal of confidence uh, in the device no. Absolutely, totally I think,
3: agree. Um while it was obviously quite rushed. They didn't want to get a public backlash Like the Note 7 that caught on fire, not that this was going to catch on fire, but uh, if this was just going to get damaged, their warranty uh, department would be going nuts. So I think that they've done the right thing.
1: Mm. Uh, Another news, uh, Uber, we've spoken about Uber uh, a fair bit this year, particularly in relation to their IPO, while Uber have now gone public. Uh, Ride-share firm Uber is now a public company, having begun trading on the New York Stock Exchange last Friday. It's US time. Uh, the I- IPO share price was valued at US $45, which saw the company valued at around US $82 billion, and gave the company an immediate cash injection of around US $8.1 billion. While some experts believe the company could be valued in excess of US $120 billion. It is thought the lower figure was an intentional move by Uber to counter a repeat of the plunge experienced by rival Lyft when it went public last month. Uber shares closed at US 41.55 on its first day of trading down around 7.6%. Now that sort of plunge is not something that's supposed to happen after an IPO normally. No. Um everyone who has uh I guess let's be fair the, the experts have been monitoring uh, the IPO have all said that this has been uh, a disaster for Uber. Um, you you are going to experience fluctuations. That's how this, this, the share market works. Uh, but this pretty much went uh, began trading and has just gone into free fall.
3: Absolutely. I think we're going to see a lot of work from the Uber side to... Um tighten uh, operating expenses from a number of different areas because they're going to want to get to at least an operating profit fairly quickly or their share price will continue to drop. Mm. But that said, the American share market is a bit of a different beast to the Australian share market. In Australia, sending out dividends when profit is made is seen as a sign of strength, whereas in the United States, um, paying dividends is often seen as we don't know what to do with our money Let's pay off our shareholders. So it'll be interesting to see how it travels in the next 12 to 18 months.
1: Indeed. And finally, in follow-ups, Optus. Uh, Optus have detailed plans to launch its 5G mobile broadband. That happened back in late January, and we reported on that on Geeks Interrupted. And now the telecommunications provider has revealed a list of Melbourne and Sydney suburbs which will receive 5G coverage. In Melbourne, 5G will be made available to areas around Hopper's Crossing, Laverton, and Williams Landing in the southwest, inner city suburbs including Abbotsford and Fisherman's Bend, uh, many parts of the Mornington Peninsula, and some outer eastern suburbs such as Croydon. Some parts of uh, Geelong will also receive 5G coverage. For Sydney, 5G is mostly concentrated more on inner areas of Sydney and surrounding suburbs, and includes Macquarie Park, Mossman, Ryde and further out as far as Castle Hill and Greystones. The 50 sites will use Ericsson Infrastructure, and Optus plans to have 1,200 5G sites active across mainland, mainland Australia by March
2: 2020. I'm sure Op- didn't Optus have, when they did the announcement of 5G, that they had a sign-up form? And I think they used that to sort of gather up their information or... Uh, their plans to set up. So I'm pretty certain that they did. That's right. And looking um uh, now yeah. I know
3: there'll be some exceptions in in this list, but looking at the Melbourne suburbs or the Victorian suburbs that will receive it, a lot of them seem to be either lower socio economic uh, areas or. Uh, areas that might have a large rental or transient population. So, for example, you would argue that a lot of people in Brunswick would be um, potentially renters. Um, uh, you've got Rosebud, Rosebud East, uh, for example, that would have a high population during uh, holiday periods and, and the permanent population have a different socioeconomic mix. Uh, and as a result, that uh, they may Optus may deem that their product would fit better in those areas. Mm. So uh, interesting move, but obviously we'll see that continue to roll out over the next twelve to eighteen months. They're just the first suburbs.
1: I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for here. Uh, perhaps topography. Basically, Sydney is a very very hilly. Uh, area mm. uh, in Melbourne, it's it's a lot. We well, still have hills and so forth. But it's a, lot, flat. Lot, it's a lot more flat. A lot more flat. One thing I've noticed with the Sydney suburbs, so I had a look today. Um, it's all in areas which have uh, a lot of lot of hills and would would pose a challenge for traditional, you know, three G, four G coverage. I don't know how five G coverage overcomes um, that problem, uh, but in Melbourne, um, it's scattered all over. Uh, Greater Melbourne so I don't know if the geography or whatever whatever the term is ha- has any impact on this or if it's socio-economic or where NBN is lacking I don't know.
3: Another another side taking on that uh, thought Andy is that for example <clears throat> uh, Rosebud, uh, Rosebud East that they've mentioned there um, in particular they have uh, for example Arthur's Seat that does have mobile phone towers on it and I wonder if They can cover that quickly by having um, installing a tower there and it gets them coverage pretty well instantly.
2: What are they doing with Arthur's seat? They should give it back, poor Arthur. Oh. Mm. He's got a new chairlift, though. Yeah, good idea. Yeah.
1: Now, before we go on, we should also mention that we have a chat room. You can come and join in the fun as we go to air live every Monday night from the studios of 94.1 FM, 3WBC. The voice of the inner east, chat. Geeksinterrupted. FM, and you can join cool people uh, such as a green cow and LG, and also some very uncool people such as Andy, Daniel, and Philo.
2: Well, I reckon LG is a bit uncool. He hasn't left a purple emoji in our chat room as of yet, so looking mm. forward to
1: it. A bit of aubergine work. Mm.
2: Now, we're going to get
1: into some news. Cool. Before we do, uh, we had to do a very, very quick studio changeover huh? before we came in tonight. Yes. And I have no idea if my soundboard is going to work. I'm going to test it out right now. Let's do it. Are we ready for, hopefully, the news?
2: <laughs>
1: well, I'm not getting any sound, so we're going to go back to the computer and try it there. Mm. Uh, which sound effect we want for the news? How about this <coughs> one? I want a duck. Ah! There we go. See, um, the great thing is about uh, the podcast is uh, we can edit all of that out and pretend that we didn't have a technical clock up. Sure. Mm. We're not going to edit it, are we? No. Uh, the A Triple uh, there in the news, for one reason, two reasons actually, uh, the proposed merger between Vodafone and TPG has been blocked by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. The ACCC's decision stems from the belief that the proposed merger would lessen competition in the mobile and the internet markets, and that TPG entering the telecommunications market as a mobile provider alone would be in the best, uh, the, sorry, the best outcome in the interest of competition. Chairman Rod Sims also played down the impact of the federal government's ban on Huawei infrastructure, saying TPG and Vodafone might find a way to implement the equipment in its 5G mobile networks. A short statement and summary of the decision was inadvertently published on the ACCC's website a day earlier than planned, which saw the share price of both companies drop significantly. The ACCC later acknowledged the error, putting the blame on underfunded and obsolete internal computer systems. Whilst the statement's release is likely to be a legitimate error, it has still drawn criticism from TPG, Vodafone and the wider financial industry. Vodafone Hutchison Australia and TPG hastily convened press conferences, with bosses from the two indicating plans to lodge official complaints surrounding the early announcement and suggesting the next step would be challenging the ACCC's merger decision in the federal court. The ACCC had been due to make a decision on the merger late last year, However, it was delayed as the regulator wanted more time to take take submissions and gather information. Statements from the company say the two have very little overlap in terms of services provided and a merger would be beneficial to consumers as a whole. The early announcement, made when both companies were still trading, saw TPG's shares drop 13.5% to $6.07 and VHA's to 11.5 cents, down 28.5%. Now, there's two parts of the story. The first one is uh, the uh, cock-up from the ACCC releasing their announcement a day early, and obviously the bigger one with the ACCC, uh blocking the merger. Um, now, um, a lot of uh, the commentary that I've read, both uh, from experts, financial analysts, and uh, random people on the internet, all believe that the merger is actually in the best interests of good competition and it, it's basically a good thing. Mm. Uh, very surprised that the ACCC uh, blocked it. Uh, I also read that Telstra um, have indicated that they'd be in favour of this merger going ahead, um, again, in the interest of competition. Uh, so it's a bit of a surprise to see that the ACCC have actually come out and said, no, we're not going to allow it to go forward. Um what are our thoughts on that
2: i I think I think that the the, the, the the what we should consider is that Australia is a small population compared to other countries not mm. to uh, shock or blow people's minds here so yes, competition is good <laughs> don't press that button that was the competition issue yeah <laughs> don't press that button andy um but I think yeah you you definitely need competition in the industry, but there is a issue where you have too many people involved uh in my opinion anyway. We've seen previous examples of with was it Macquarie group that were entering into the mobile market. It was clearly showing that there's still room in the market for other companies to get involved, so for t p g and Vodafone to merge together, it's like well you know it's 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 not a necessarily a big deal per se. But again, I'm looking at this as more for consumer and seeing how these um, uh, companies work together. I'm no genius in knowing whether financially or whether the, in, in in the bigger sense of the competition side of things that this is kind of a bad thing. Maybe, maybe ACCC has seen something that we normal folks don't.
3: Well, based on the, the findings that – first thing is is that there was some preliminary findings earlier in the year that the C showed that they had some concerns yeah. um and uh they <clears throat> had some concerns with the the merger um they will um their situation was that uh that um so so their full guidance was in line with that. Um, I was surprised that it was knocked back considering that they don't play in each other's markets significantly. Obviously TPG had trialed their 4G network, um, which the interesting thing was it wasn't even a voice network at this stage anyway. Um, and Vodafone are going into the NBN market, but they're really not doing it as a, they're doing it as a way to create bundled services to push people to their mobile network. Um, so it it did surprise me. However, there is a suggestion that they will appeal this at the federal court and that the federal court, um, historically on these line ball type of decisions favor in, um, usually judge in favor of say companies like TPG and Vodafone. So I think there's still a bit to play on this. Um, furthermore, um, I just found it interesting that it was decision was based on what Vodafone and TPG might do as opposed to what they are doing. So it was saying, well, there's a commercial imperative for them to create their own mobile phone network or, and Vodafone, are uh, they've, you know, there's a commercial imperative them to go into the MBN services. Well, yeah, they've got less than 1% of the market. Um, but TPG, I don't think we're, I think TPG were going on their in their mobile phone or their mobile market world, they were, they, they were talking about um, piggybacking off Vodafone's network anyway for effectively roaming outside of their core areas. So they were never going to do a full-blown network. So, look, <clears throat> it surprises me, but I think it will happen. I think it will happen.
1: Well, something I did read today uh, in one of the many, many articles I went through uh, was uh, a comment from a, um, uh, I, I think it was a lawyer, or he was a legal expert in this area. And his opinion, and keep in mind that this was only an opinion, uh, he believes that if this does go to the federal court, uh, Vodafone TPG would be successful in challenging the decision. So, yep. very unusual. Very. I uh, don't really understand why the ACCC had come out uh, against it. Uh, let's look at the other issue, though, with uh, the ACCC accidentally releasing their statement a day early. So, of course, this came out when uh, both companies were still trading on the stock market. What would normally happen in such situations when an announcement is due is uh, trading for those companies would be uh, halted, be suspended, uh, and that would prevent anyone from um, get up to any shenanigans or take advantage of it. Um, And effectively, the have said, this is what's happening, and it has sent um, both companies' shares into
2: freefall. Yeah, both companies have lost money, basically. It was a bit of a stuff up. I yeah. think
3: that they probably put it into their CMS on their website and had set the wrong live time for that. At least it was only a few hours, not days or weeks. In the Yeah. Days.
1: Well, I did see an interesting comment again, and one of the many articles that I read on this um, was from a, uh, a share trader. Uh, he said that uh, the ACCC will probably get away with this. But had it been a private company, they would have been prosecuted for it it because that sort of thing is is illegal. Mm. Um, He said, I mean, I think he acknowledged that it was an error. It wasn't intentional. There was no way that a government agency would do something like that intentionally. Shouldn't have happened, but there's likely to be no repercussions for them Mm.
2: at all. So. So ACCC got away with it, those bastards. Indeed. So there we
1: go, we're going to have to keep an eye on that and see what happens. Uh, In other news, uh, the Labour Party have promised to reinstate the Australian Interactive Games Fund if it wins government after this Saturday's federal election. The fund was established by the then-Labor government back in 2013 and supported Australian game studios to create, develop and market computer and console games. The program was shut down under Tony Abbott after the Liberals took power in 2014. The announcement was made at an arts policy launch held in Melbourne over the weekend and promises a commitment of $25 million towards the fund. The policy also commits $20 million to support live music venues and funding of the ABC and SBS. In 2018, the Greens called for a $100 million reinstatement of that fund as part of the Batman by-election campaign. The election was won by Labor's Jed Kearney with a 3.35% swing against Greens candidate Alex Patel. Earlier today, Labor announced it would also waive upfront fees for students enrolling in IT courses at TAFE. The policy would benefit up to 5,000 students, and the party hopes uh, hopes that half of those would be female. Uh, Labor did not say which TAFE courses would be eligible, however indicated it would work with the sector to determine appropriate courses and how best to implement the program. In early May, Labour also promised two million for a cybersecurity training centre at Kangan Tafe in Broadmeadows. Uh, the federal election is this Saturday and is an event held every three years in which Australians gather at their local primary school, church or community centre to consume democracy sausages <coughs> and draw penises on ballot papers. A small number of those Australians also choose to vote for their preferred party. So um Let's look at uh, the uh, game fund first up, because that was something as we mentioned that uh, was established under Labor fun- uh, uh, six years ago, and uh, Labor uh, Tony Abbott promptly dumped it, dumped it as soon as he got into power. Um, there was a bit of criticism at the time because uh, it was basically supporting you know innovation and industry within Australia. Clearly, uh, you know with the Liberal Party still living in the eighteen thirties didn't see the value when that dumped it. If and now Labor want to bring it back,
2: like if the game industry wasn't so up its ass and made a game about coal mining, then I reckon the Liberal Party would have supported that. Jokes aside, or no, a
3: hunting game a hunting. for climate change deni- uh, climate or, change not denies. Um, uh, uh climate change believers yeah
2: or if if they actually made the Clive Palmer app <laughs> yeah no jokes, jokes jokes aside um you're right andy this is this is in yes it's quite specific in regards to the gaming industry but in general it is a uh an incentive and money invested in the startup scene and look off the top of my head i don't a lot of these games we're not talking about your Call of Duties or Fortnite, huge big budget games. We're talking a lot of indie, even iOS or Android based sort yep. games, which are relatively small teams of maybe one or two people minimum uh, to get involved. Um, so in regards to the funding, that several millions of dollars, you're probably looking at round tens of thousands that can support one team. And, that's what, That means a lot to help out the, the industry because with that, you're building up or trying to reduce the brain drain, if any brain here, because we need to have some experience or a portfolio in order to present that to the bigger um, uh, gaming uh, companies out there. Probably the only sort of big one we have here in Australia is EA, which is arguably the biggest, but they have the off-branch called Fire Monkeys, which is here. But apart from that, it's it's sort of you need to invest these seeds first in order to let them grow. So overall, I think it's a good thing.
3: Yeah, look, I um as well, I th- I think it's a positive move doing this. So I'd probably like to see more investment. It's it's a very localized investment, um, and I'd like to see more investment in other STEM activities mm, as well. Because, of course. Um, <clears throat> like it or not, and I know that the Labour Party are are working. Traditionally, a working person's party, but there are a number of industries um, that will not survive the next fifteen, twenty years. Um, particularly about manual labour, um, and it's got nothing to do with jobs going overseas. It's things like automation and what have you. So there needs to be better pathways to to um, to allow um, students to study those things um, in. Uh, the environment in the world um, that, to, you know, looking at a career perspective, one of the things I note that the, and I'm not sure quite on the extent of it, but apparently the Liberal Party uh, in the last six years have put a cap on a number of funded university places. And I know that the Labor Party are looking to lift that as part of their election promise. So I think all these things are, are, are all positive in general, um, but I think they should be looking at widening that particular funding model to other uh, um. STEM-type activities as well.
1: Mm, agreed. And don't forget, Election Day is this Saturday uh, across Australia. And remember, vote early and vote often.
3: The other thing I was going to mention was that you did talk about people drawing penises on ballot papers. If you number your ballot paper correctly and draw a penis on it, it is still valid. It's only if you only draw a penis on it, your vote's not counted.
2: Can you Can you draw the numbers as... Penis shaped If they're
3: legible, probably.
2: Yeah. Okay, there you go. Fun fact, kids, here on Geeks Interrupted. Say yes.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Um. but uh, if you are interested in what you can and can't draw on your uh, ballot paper, head to the AEC website. They have a whole handbook, which is quite lengthy, um, which uh, describes what uh, construes a valid Uh, ballot paper and what makes it in Does it have pictures?
3: (laughs) The other thing, seriously, the Senate ballot voting has changed this year. Oh, has it? So if you want to vote above the line, I think you can vote up to one to six. Mm. Probably got that number wrong. But you can direct your preferences a bit more directly without voting below the line. So check on what the rules are and how to vote correctly in the Senate,
2: yeah i andy I'll be a little quick with this one we've we've been in, um hinting a lot with that uh, uh voting koala comic in regards to preferential voting i'll say behind the scenes because I was involved with the um uh, counting the votes for the previ- uh, recent victorian election as well, and we do count all. So oh yeah. Better. Oh yeah. So it's very in very in-depth. So we all got, got away at like fifth or sixth.
3: And I was a scrutiny out on the last federal election. Mm. So yeah, that was an interesting exercise. There
2: you go.
0: Listening live? Join us in the chat room. Chat.geeksinterrupted.fm.
1: That's right, you are listening to Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM3WBC. We're going to stay with some news now, and a dispute between a Melbourne cafe owner and an Instagram influencer has found its way to court after a deal between the two went south. Chloe Roberts and Con Casagianos, owner of of the Legacy Cafe in Camberwell, entered into a verbal agreement for Roberts to promote the cafe via her Instagram feed. However, Casagianos refused to pay after finding posts made by Roberts had been removed after a short period of time. The dispute ended up at the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, where Deputy President Ian Lullum agreed with Roberts' position that old posts are unattractive to Instagram followers and that the post had been archived to maintain the freshness of the account. Katsogiannis was ordered to pay Roberts $1,400 plus filing costs. However, it was acknowledged that Roberts may not have made it clear that posts would be removed from her feed at any time. This reduced her payout slightly. Roberts earns around $1,200 per Instagram post to her 128,000 followers, and her feed often features her at the beach, working out, eating at cafes, and sporting an awful fake tan. Legacy Cafe maintains its own Instagram feed and only advertises through Instagram influencers.
2: Mm. Wait, did you did you add that fake tan line? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to double check. I was reading the article. I like, think it's not in there. Why would the ABC stoop that low? But then it's gets interrupted. Know. Well, the
1: thing is, none of these are articles. This is all uh, my own copy.
2: Yeah. Yes. So uh, I mean. I've gathered that. And she does have a. Uh, oh no, her, a, her tan's pretty
1: shit. Quite, quite a bad fake
2: tan. Yeah. Um. Look. Yeah. It's. Little, little bit. I mean, kind of a little bit of a storm in the tea cup sort of thing. In one sense, I think they're both in the wrong in a way that, as far as the cafe is concerned, they paid someone to be promoting their their this um, their shop and um, the Instagram model followed the the job in regards to how long those posts were, were up. The the this Instagram model should have stated. More specifically what was in the agreement mm. as well, so at the end of the day, she didn't get as much money as she was entitled to, but at the same time she you know the job was done, and she got paid. I think in a broader sense, it's sort of this is and it's been on for quite a while as well this is a new age of uh, anyone who is an influencer can <clears throat> be paid to be uh promoting um whatever products uh, interesting enough. She's got a decent following of 128,000 followers on Instagram, um, which makes her sort of a a higher tier somewhat Instagram um, influencer. But there are people that maybe have a third of that amount, maybe even like 10 – if you have about like 10,000 followers, you can probably earn a bit of money.
3: The problem I say with some of the – like it depends on your business, but to me that's a very localised sort of advertising thing. It's a weird
2: thing to advertise. For –
3: someone that could conceivably have a lot of followers worldwide. Like if you're doing a national brand, I sort of get it. Like I see HelloFresh uses a lot of um, influencers, but um, this seems to be sort of small-frying comparison.
2: Yeah, and looking at a lot of the posts, it's, it tends to be more fitness-focused sort of stuff, so it's a bit unusual that a local cafe would want to use their services. So. Yeah,
3: but, well, we don't know what the local cafe hmm. pushes, but... Um, they – look, the thing is, is that they um tend to – and I think I know of an influencer that they've used in the past, but anyway, um they clearly don't – like, they've gone in the influencer direction to probably reduce their advertising costs, and they haven't done their due diligence properly in terms of, you know – timeframes, should you delete it, should you not delete it, so on and so forth so well, you know, I, I, fair I, enough for the, the influencer I,
1: I think the issue there is that as it was stated this was a verbal contract, nothing was in writing yeah. um, so either it was just misunderstood by the cafe owner how it was going to work it wasn't clearly explained, I think both parties have a responsibility in that respect Absolutely. Yes. and this will probably push um, uh, Roberts, Chloe Roberts to actually getting this sort of stuff down on, on paper that's assuming she's not, uh, you know, doing cash transactions and avoiding paying tax on
2: on her earnings. Oh, yes. Yes, and but. and that's another big thing as well. I've noticed it has happened with more international, start uh, specifically in the UK. There's been a few YouTubers and Instagram uh, people that have been caught out, but and I'm sure I'm pretty sure it's in Australia too. We've got rules that you have to be stating that it's a advertisement. It's a product that you're selling with like a hashtag ad or hashtag
1: you have to make it
2: clear that
1: it it, it is a paid spot as opposed to an organic placement yep yeah, basically um thing is looking at at, uh, at her Instagram feed have we had a chance to look at her Instagram feed no I'll okay. do that now Okay, look, let's be fair. She is a reasonably attractive young lady. I think she's 19, 20. If we put aside the fake tan, and I'm going to keep harping on about the fake Mm -hmm. tan, it does Mm -hmm. look awful. Um, And a lot of uh, the photos of her, um, I mean, I find it to be one of the most boring Instagram feeds I've ever looked at. It's just her in somewhat skimpy clothing, standing around trying to look attractive. Um, And I don't really get the appeal of that, why people would follow you know, just to look at posts, which are basically just a person doing everyday things and occasionally sitting at a cafe in front of a plate of food. But it's
2: working for her. So obviously, no, good luck to her. What's the, name, I, I, what's the name of the, uh, the cat from Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, Tressa Cat. Yeah, it's like that. Just a big grin. <laughs> it's, a well, it's like that. and a, a, An orange cat. <laughs> a
1: cross between the Tressa Cat and an umpa Loompa. <laughs> Now she's going to take us to vegan.
2: No, no, sorry, we're joking, we're joking. I'm we're, not. No. <laughs> well, we are as well. Come at us. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, we're looking at some photos now that she's advertising um, eyeliner and exercise drinks as well, and there's not really a hashtag ad or, or anything to sort of disclose that it is an ad. I've seen other um, people, not necessarily Instagram Um, solely Instagram, but uh, Hex, Steph Hex from Good Game or formerly from Good Game, she's on Instagram and she'll have regular posts and then she will will post about a Samsung product, but there you can actually see that there's a hashtag ad put there as well, so you know that it's a sponsored Okay, so
3: I'm actually watching her live store, her Insta story at the moment. It's actually worse than the um, it's worse than the feed. So, um, so tonight uh, she's posting every hour on her story in a different set of bikinis from uh, her bare body boutique haul until it's uh, up on her channel. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, this is a very visual thing, but
2: uh, I had a look as uh, well. Yeah, and the big so, problem is, uh, it's vertical video, and she's filmed it. Wide screen, wide well, screen. So yeah, you have to tilt your head to see it. So I think mean, you have to tilt your
3: head to see it anyway. Mm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> a green cow in the chat room says, "On a scale of orange to Donald Trump, how orange is she?" Oh. Well, we'll chuck a link in the show notes. No, did we talk on
3: the show about the guy who swallowed his AirPod? <laughs> yes, it's the colour after it came out. <laughs> I'm going to get this. so yes.
2: Uh,
1: well, speaking of something that comes in uh, three colours, we're going to talk about the Google <laughs> Pixel. Uh, and the reason we're going to be talking about the Google Pixel is Google uh, held their uh, annual I.O. conference uh, during the week. There's some very interesting announcements that came out uh, of that. I shouldn't have used that term, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the first of those was the uh, Google Pixel 3a which is a mid-range smartphone likely uh, designed to compete with Apple's iPhone 10R and appeal to customers looking for a full-featured Android device at a lower price point. The Pixel 3a will be available in two variants, the 3a and the 3a XL. Spec-wise, both phones are identical. The only difference between the two being the screen size and battery capacity. Powered by a Snapdragon 670 processor, the 3A features 4GB of RAM, a 12MP rear camera, a 8MP front camera and 64GB of included external storage. The handset also supports Bluetooth 5 and fast charging via USB-C, although wireless charging hasn't made an appearance. Uh, The 3.5mm headphone jack has also returned, a feature which was available on the original Pixel but dropped on later models. The 3A sports a 5.6 OLED screen and 6-inch OLED for the XL variant. The latter also provides a slightly higher capacity battery. The 3A will launch at US 399, while the XL will start at US 479, and it comes in three colours, white, black and light purple. Unfortunately, Instagram fake tan brown is not available. The Australian Google Store lists the devices at 6.49 and 7.99, respectively, available in black or white only. Vodafone appears to be the only Australian carrier offering the 3A at this stage, although only available as a repayment in addition to a monthly service plan. So I had a look at the uh, the phone, <coughs> and I think I've always said that uh, I- I'm fairly heavily. Um, Committed to the Apple ecosystem and the iPhone and so forth, but if I ever were to make the change to Android, it would be a Google Pixel that I would move to. Um, my opinion hasn't changed with the three A. I know it's a a mid tier phone, is step down from the Pixel, but it's still very impressive from what I've read. What I've looked at is very impressive. Yeah,
2: th- like uh, there's, it's funny when the announcement was made. A lot of the tech YouTubers had 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 already in- uh, reviews on the actual phone as well, and Apart from maybe some cosmetics and some internals, like all the body's plastic, for example, and a uh, cheaper, not the best word, but a cheaper screen on it. And I think the still biggest selling point with the Google Pixel is the camera, and I think it is relatively the same. Apart from there's a dedicated image processor on the Google Pixel 3, the original one, which helps the speed of the camera. If you still want those night shots and so forth, this this phone can still do it. So and for about maybe three to four hundred dollars Australian cheaper than the the actual original pixels, it's not a bad deal. So I have I've looked at it and kind of been kind of been tempted as well, maybe to a good second phone at least.
3: So here's a question for you. Um, you've got an iPhone ten um, both of you do you heavily use the wireless charging function?
1: At home I do because I, I think I've mentioned this before. I have an IKEA table which yep. has a built-in charger. So I just literally put the phone next to the bed at night, charges overnight. In the car I use a standard yep. USB C charger.
2: I, I use a oh, <coughs> charger. I use I actually bought a I think I had a five dollar JB Hi Fi charger and it was as Tiny as as big as like a fifty cent piece that worked, a little bit bit bigger than that. I went out with my new job, bought bought a Mophie charger, dedicated one for my my phone. But at home, I still use a plug-in.
3: Okay, and the the reason why I asked that is that I think this phone's a great option. Don't get me wrong, but for one of the issues I have, and I was saying it on a podcast um, that I was on last night, that the once I've now that I've gone wireless charging, I don't think I can go back from wireless charging. Hmm. So I think I'd have to go and get the more expensive phone now because you know it's like the OLED screen in the iPhone. Um, some people don't like it, but um,
2: once you go wireless, you can't go wire for yeah. us.
3: Yeah,
2: that's my
1: thought anyway. But Keep in mind that this is designed as a mid-tier phone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, people who are price conscious have to accept that they're not going to get all the features. Sure,
2: And that's the compromises you're going to have to make. There are going to be Android phones in that tier. Because it's a that, good phone. Yeah, there will be Android phones in that tier that would have wireless. The Oppo and Huawei models definitely would, would still support it. But um, I think for the OS and for the camera, it's definitely attempting. Offer.
3: And the other thing is, if you're if you're into development and things like that, um, they've announced Android Q, and if you've got a Google device and certain other devices like Nokia's, you can actually run the betas on it. Whereas if you've got a Samsung, um, because you need all the overlays that Samsung do, you can't do that. So it's also a good note to have.
1: Hmm. So there we go. That's the uh, Google Pixel Three A and Three A XL. <coughs> uh, in other news. Um, Google is bringing incognito capabilities to its maps and search platforms, allowing users to use the services without being tracked or having searches recorded. Although the ability to turn off tracking is possible simply through opening a private browser tab, the incognito mode will now be included directly within the apps. Users will be able to enable or disable the tracking through their profile, and Google will also provide greater transparency on the type of data that's collected and how that data is used. In addition, users can also access a setting that determines how long Google may retain any information that is collected. Google introduced such capabilities to its YouTube platform last year, and the new features are available in Maps and Search immediately. Now, I kind of get the impression that uh, Apple, uh, I know we're jumping forward to Apple, but they um, have been very uh, loud, very shouty and loud about their commitment to privacy. Yep. We don't collect anything from you. Anything we collect is anonymous and we only use it to provide services to you. We don't care who you are, what you do. Uh, we don't need to know about you. Uh, and they're pushing that privacy angle as much as possible. Um, I kind of get the impression now that other companies are trying to follow suit. So Google uh, are basically known for collecting a lot of data about the user. That's the whole business model of Google, basically collecting information using it. Um, and I think that this is a big push to in- – uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if the term is improved their perception, but clean up oh. the way they do, they do business in that area.
3: I agree completely. Um, the one thing that Google's got going for them at the moment is that Facebook's a bit of a mess in that space. So that any steps that Google take in terms of maintaining an individual's privacy or settings and things like that, in light of what's happening from the Facebook side and compare, even compared to what Google have done in the past, they're going to come out as being the better uh, organisation on that. Alter- uh, as well, while we'll talk a bit more about that later, um, Microsoft uh, have also building their own Chromium based browser and they're adding a lot of privacy functions in it as well. So uh, Google will want to match at least those things.
1: Mm. Now, I have to uh, explain. Uh, I've been working on a particular project uh, website that I'm looking to launch in the next few weeks, hopefully, all going well, um, which makes heavy use of uh, Google, Google APIs, in particular, it's Maps platform and APIs. Yep. Um, and part of that website, not 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 the point of the website, but part of that website is locations of uh, adult services across Melbourne. So I'm talking about strip clubs, brothels, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Uh, and I've had to visit Google Maps and search for these sites to get information about them, right? Uh, quite legitimately. Right. Um, what I found is that uh, I opened up my Google Maps uh, app the other night uh, with somebody in the car, and in the auto suggestion field was a list of about seven brothels across Melbourne that came up in plain sight.
2: Yeah, and I didn't so naturally go. No, it's not what you think. It's for And they're jobs. going
1: Sure it's not. <laughs> yes. So the ability to actually hide that I mean not that I'm embarrassed about that because I know that, you know,
2: um it was legitimate yeah. legitimate research. It was embarrassing because it was Mother's Day and it was <laughs> <in my mind>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh yeah, so the the ability to uh to hide those or Control that, uh, that those auto suggestions would have been very handy. Mm. Mm. Have you got a name for the site yet? I do, but I'm yeah. not going to reveal it because I haven't actually registered the domain yet. Right?
3: <clears throat> There's a company that services cars called Lubemobile, but that's already taken. So,
1: that's our 133032 probably. Not that they're not a sponsor,
3: but if you'd like to, <laughs> give mm. us a call. Yeah. Gigs Interrupted, sponsored by Loomobile.
1: Sounds good. (laughs) Anyway, one final story from the Google I.O. conference, and this does not involve brothels, strip clubs, or houses of ill
2: repute. Boring.
1: Yeah. Uh, Google have announced that its home automation products will be rebranded as Google Nest. The products, which include smoke alarms, security cameras, and thermostat controls, were acquired by Google when it purchased Nest in January of 2014. Nest has operated mostly independently in that time since. However, Google is looking to incorporate the product lineup directly under its own brand. Other such products previously sold directly by Google will fall under the same Google Nest brand, including Home, Home Mini and Chromecast. Whilst the rebranding is probably a smart move to unify the various products under one brand, not everyone is happy. Google also announced that the Works with Nest program will be shut down this August. This means that third-party integrations, such as If That This Then That, will no longer work and an open access development APIs will also be retired. The decision has drawn outrage from some existing Nest users, mm. some of whom rely on third-party integrations or have spent considerable amounts of money buying Nest products on the basis of access to such integrations. Google have defended that move, saying protecting u- user privacy was the primary reason, The company also said that Nest products will continue to integrate with other Google Home Automation products through Google Assistant, although without the same level of customization or functionality. And also that trusted partners, in quotes, will continue to offer third-party integration. The latter is likely code for partners who pay us money to access the closed ecosystem. Now, I'm pretty pissed off about this because I bought a Nest Protect some months ago, I um, actually had it installed this morning. Uh, oh, really? I finally got around to installing it. Yeah. Uh, and one of the reasons I bought my Nest Protect was so I could integrate it with other services, um, such as LifeX, Alexa, so forth. And I, I think I bought the Protect for 188 bucks, and it's basically a waste of money. I mean, it still works. It's still a smoke alarm slash carbon monoxide detector. But the main purpose, the reason I bought it and chose that product it's gone. Mm. You know, I might as well just abort a, a standard smoke alarm. Yeah, um, <clears> it's a pretty <throat> poor decision on the part of Google, I think. I
3: oh, know, I agree, and I wonder if it's leading to Google potentially av- having their own, um, uh, like they've cancelled those API access, but I wonder if they'll have their own APIs that they will make available. But it's going to continue to work in their ecosystem. They're clearly pushing towards this market quite heavily and one of the reasons they're, they're doing that is to bring that Nest brand into into Google but um, yeah interesting move by Google
2: because yeah, mm. Apple don't have that they got, you can get the if, the if this and that app on Apple and they got some integration don't they?
3: Yeah but then for decent HomeKit integration they've, Apple have made it easier to increase adoption whereas mm. it was actually quite difficult in the past so um, but, yeah, Apple's sort of still a standalone product, whereas um, Alexa um, with, uh, in the Amazon world and, and Google had that quite broad uh, accessibility option, um, which Google are sort of closing off now, clearly.
1: Well, one uh, comment I saw on Reddit on the Nest subreddit was from a bloke, and uh, over in America, he'd spent uh, something like uh, $2,500 on Nest products over the last couple of years, and he heavily integrated them using uh, If This Then That and other third party services. And he was, um I'm not going to repeat the language he used, but he was ropeable. Yeah, He said, basically, I want you know, Google to refund me my $2,500 I've spent because all these products I bought and bought for a reason no longer work. And I think a lot of people are going to be in that same situation. Yeah.
3: Well, I've got a Nest Protect at home, and I was looking at buying, I think, two or three more um, uh, for when I move into my new house, and now I'm going to be reconsidering that option. Admittedly, I did not really integrate the Nest Protect with other um, products when I I, did have it running.
2: I, too, have a couple of Nest Protects as well, um, but I haven't really set up any integration with my home automation. It's really just a dedicated Nest app that I have and just notifies Mm. me if they're doing a test or something like that. Um. So for me, in regards to my usage of home automation, it's not going to affect me that much. i never really figured how to configure it, let alone see any use of of it to do things. Um uh, But other automation I have is I got a several Google Home Mini. Is it is it Home Minis? What was the name again? The little hubs. Yeah, the little Home Minis. Home Minis. I got a couple of those as well as LifeX lights as well. So that yeah. still works for me. See so
3: the thing with the um the um like Nest have cameras and I did look at those, but the problem with them was that, and this was before I had the NBN, but then I don't really want it using that much bandwidth. It was that it, I think it uploaded everything that it received into a cloud service. And it was, um, the specs were saying we want you to, we want to, uh, to allocate one megabit of your upload connection to every camera that you have installed. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So I'd gone away from not using the Nest Protects and not the Nest cameras, I should say, but mm. I did have a Nest Protect, but I'm not going to go and buy Nest cameras, you know, to integrate it. So they're more likely to lose the business.
1: Well, the important thing to remember is Google aren't closing the ecosystem entirely. It's just going to be uh, restrictive on what you can integrate and it with. So they're
3: effectively doing the Apple, they're going back to what Apple was originally
1: doing with HomeKit. Mm. The thing is, though, uh, given the the backlash, um, it wouldn't surprise me if Google come out and reverse that decision later, or uh, there's a compromise somewhere. Yeah. It it just seems silly. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point Go- of home automation.
2: Well, specifically with Google being known to be a more open, flexible platform compared to Apple. Yeah.
1: Mm. Anyway. Uh, I can't play the sound effect, but can we boo? Google? Boo! Mm. Yeah. Well, you are listening to Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM 3WBC, and we'll be back with more
0: after this.
4: Hello, I'm Beverly Strong. And if you enjoy the wide variety of programs presented on 94.1 3WBC, we'd like you to become a member. Members can support the running of the station by participating in the management committee and working groups, training as presenters and producers, and becoming involved in fundraisers and special events. To find out how to get more out of your community radio station, visit our studio in the Box Hill Town Hall Hub or phone during business hours on 9285... Four eight four six, Or visit our website on www.3wbc.org.au and select Membership. A new and satisfying interest will be yours when you join the 94.1 3WBC team. We're your community radio station and voice of the Inner East.
0: Geeks Interrupted. We try and tell you before Reckoner does.
1: You are listening to Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM, 3WBC, the voice of the inner east. We're now well into our second hour of the program, and we're going to take just a few minutes. we have to keep this one short. We've still got a lot to get through. Uh, What have we been up to uh, this week? Who'd like to go
2: first? You go. Okay, I'll go. Um... So, over the weekend, nothing tech-related, but pop culture stuff. Um, On Saturday, I uh, renewed my stand and watched a couple of Marvel films and rewatched Avengers Infinity War to prepare myself for Sunday, where I finally watched Endgame.
3: I think you've done a good move, because some of the ads that are coming out for Endgame now are just full of spoilers. Oh,
2: yeah. Good move. Yeah, so... um, from that, that's been about it, really. So, how about you, Phil? Um,
3: the one thing I did on the weekend, I had to go uh, and do a purchase on behalf of my wife for her work, and at the same time, this shows how customer, a good old face-to-face customer service can help. I was looking at buying some speakers for the home theatre I'm currently building, and uh, I was looking at ceiling-mounted speakers for Dolby Atmos and uh, my original plan was to have standard uh, in-ceiling speakers directly above some seating, and uh, the guy convinced me to choose the angled speakers, and uh, in long-term, is I'll mount them forward of the seats, and they'll angle back to the seats, and uh, so that you get a better overhead sound covering both seating positions that I'll have in the theatre. So um, I probably would have gone a different direction had I had not had that customer service, so... Uh, well done. I'm sort of happy with that. And uh, it shows that buying online is not always the best way to do it.
2: Mm, indeed. Andy, what have you been up to <clears throat> this week? Anything tech-related?
1: Tech-related, um, I've been doing a little bit of work on that site that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't say too much. I want to keep it private. Um, and uh, doing my research into brothels and strip clubs, amongst other things. Um Draining? Was it a draining exercise? It was very, very... very was it exhausting? Draining. Uh, I think I pulled a muscle right. in the process. Um, I can't think of any other shitty puns, but you get the idea. Shitty puns?
3: What? Did you do a deep dive into the topic? Certainly did.
1: Mm. Certainly did. Um, Head first. What first. else have I done? Um, that's about it. And as I said, I had that Nest Protect installed today, which was, wasn't was really that exciting. It took all of three minutes, and an, an electrician made 150 bucks for doing it. Yeah.
3: I oh, know, it's not good that Yeah. I
1: actually thought that it meant Oh you
2: got the wired one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I, I have the battery one. I just
1: Uh well I'm in a rental yeah, yeah. and uh the real estate agent and landlord only agreed to it if if I'd get the wired one. Um which is fair they it's the same price anyway, and yeah, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. And was it replacing a wired one? It was. Yeah. It was. Um so I've still got that you know, the 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 existing wired one just Battery operator sitting in the kitchen, so it's like a backup. Yep. Should it be needed, I don't quite trust technology enough. We'll see how it goes. If I die in a fire one night, well, blame Nest Protect. Have you only got blame one? you
3: only got one um, uh, smoke detector? Because
2: uh-huh. legally, just one, but I think it is recommended you have two or more, based on like one in the bedroom or one in like near the kitchen.
3: Well, in, like in there I mean, admittedly, I'm doing a double story house, but in the new house, I have to have three. Mm. You have to have them outside habitable rooms, so I have to have one at one end of the house, one at the other upstairs, and then one downstairs. So, because I'm like, wow, I want to replace them with Nest Protects, and that's becoming really expensive.
1: Mm. mm. Anyway, so that, that was my <coughs> uh, that was my week and weekend. Not very exciting.
4: So, okay. Yeah.
1: Now I've got some good news. Think we have got the laptop issue sorted. Awesome. Do you want to test it out? Yes. Because it's either going to go really, really well. I'll oh, take off my headphones. <laughs> yeah, or we're going we're to look like incompetent. Sorry, we're going to look like more even more incompetent. Alternate. So what sound effect will we like? Do you want the new sound effect? Yes. Okay. Let's give that a shot. Uh, we're going to try this one here. And a question for Lee, Lin Chin. What are you going to be drawing on your ballot paper this Saturday? Penises. There we go. So we're not as incompetent as you thought. Uh, Microsoft are in the news, um, and they also had a conference during the week. Kind of interesting that they scheduled it at the same time as Google, but whatever. Uh, Microsoft Build 2019 had lots of announcements. Lots of them were really, really boring, but there was one announcement, which is really interesting. Uh, Microsoft have officially announced the Chromium-based Microsoft Edge browser at the MS Build conference uh, in the United States. Amongst a host of privacy-related features, one major inclusion was Internet Explorer mode. The feature will allow businesses to load old sites directly in the new Edge Chromium browser using the Internet Explorer rendering engine. Microsoft is building IE directly into Edge for this purpose, so businesses aren't forced to directly use IE for ancient internal sites. The primary purpose for this appears to be aimed at corporate tools that have relied on IE as its rendering engine for some time. The move is expected to increase the corporate adoption of Microsoft's beleaguered browser, and Microsoft said, quote, we've got a browser for you that updates regularly that will go on Windows 7 and the Mac that handles things like IT customization of the new tab page and Microsoft Search and IE built in, unquote. A number of improvements have also been made to privacy control, with a focus on blocking web trackers. Three levels of privacy control are now available to manage the degree of tracking across the internet. The settings are managed through a simple settings page designed to remove complexity to the average user. Edge also provides integration with various components of the Office 365 platform, and the browser can be customized with a corporate look and feel, including an organization's logo. The updated Edge browser will be available for Windows 10 only, however Mac OS and Linux versions are expected in the future. Release dates for the features have not yet been announced. This is actually a pretty interesting announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, um, I think like a lot of people have seen Internet, ex- excuse me, Internet Explorer as a bit of a joke, and it's the sort of browser you open once on a new machine to download Firefox or Google Chrome hey, and then never use again. It's very good at doing that. So mm-hmm. it's the best browser out there for downloading another browser. Mm. Um, I mean, I would never switch away from... I use Firefox as my primary browser now. I would never switch across to uh, to Edge. I, I see no reason to. But it kind of does make a compelling case.
2: I've, I've downloaded the Chromium test uh, beta um, program, and, yeah, it looks pretty good. There's definitely still a way to go to implement a lot of the features. Uh, but the interesting thing is you kind of sync it to your Microsoft account, so if you do have a Windows platform; you can synch- synchronize with that. So uh, it's kind of think of it like your Firefox account as well, that you can synchronize your passwords and stuff like that on there as well. But overall, yeah, it pretty much looks like a Chrome app because in a way it is.
3: Yeah, I think it's a positive move. Um, the IE um, mode, I think, is a really good thing for them to do. Um, <clears throat> I know that uh, the organisation I work for has a number of apps that are web-based or browser-based, I should say, and we were running uh, IE8 for a long time because of compatibility with those particular um, internal services uh, to the point that they put Firefox on the device to allow us to actually look at websites. Yeah, and
2: my my company insists that most, most websites we're visiting has to be on Chrome. And use Chrome yeah, as well. So I noticed that too it's going to be on um, Mac OS yeah. as well, so that's
3: good. I think, you know, I think, I'll, as Andy said, I'll continue to use Firefox as my primary browser these days. However, um, I would probably install this at this point without seeing it rather than installing Chrome.
1: Yeah, from a developer point of view it's usually a good idea to i mean mainly for testing purposes to have all the browsers installed because different browsers will render a web page differently uh, i've experienced that where i've developed the web page looks fine in Chrome and firefox you load it up in ie or something completely different and there's something about the rendering engine that breaks your website mm. completely and you usually find out at the last minute and have to go back and recode Everything it will be good to install, you know, for for development purposes, uh, and I'll certainly check it out once it gets once it's released fully. But I can't see me using it.
3: So, um, uh, obviously uh, Firefox uses WebKit, I think, or Mozilla WebKit is the basis for its browser, and then Apple uses a version of that for Safari. Now that Microsoft is going to Chrome. Uh, Do we think that we'll even develop further at some point where we'll end up going to a single um, uh, effectively rendering engine and the differences will be skins?
1: Possibly. Uh, Keep in mind that there's HTML standards and some of those standards, some of the newer standards haven't been ratified yet. So some browsers, some companies, interpret those standards in different ways Mm. or implement their versions of it. And that's what breaks a lot of these... (laughs) Uh, That's what causes a lot of these problems. Um, I wouldn't say it's common, but it does exist where some developers will um, uh, run a detection script to detect the browser that's being used. And if it detects IE, it will basically throw up a message saying, sorry, go away, come back, download a real browser, then come back to our site. Uh, There's less picky developers and site managers out there. Uh, who will simply insert code that um, instructs the browser to render particular code relevant to that browser. So if it detects Internet Explorer, it renders code for Internet Explorer. Otherwise, it renders code for every other browser, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. um, But I think, yes, it is moving towards a more unified rendering engine situation, I hope. Which I think is just a positive thing for end users.
2: Mm. Exactly. Oh, yeah.
1: There you go. Good move, Microsoft. Uh San Francisco, let's go across to San Francisco. Mm. Should that we do be that? good. Yeah. Lawmakers in San Francisco have introduced new rules requiring all physical stores under its jurisdiction to accept cash. A number of retail stores, many of which are in upscale or wealthier areas, have recently moved to electronic payments only saying that the process was more efficient and less labour-intensive than handling notes and coins, or in American-speak, bills and coins. However, officials said that the cashless policy potentially excluded disadvantaged or lower-income individuals from purchasing food or other services, as many may not have access to or the means to maintain electronic payment methods or bank accounts. It's also argued that some people may prefer to pay with cash so as not to maintain a paper trail. Similar laws were introduced in New York City, New Jersey and Philadelphia. In San Francisco, the laws will apply to all physical retailers offering food and certain services, however exemptions are in place for temporary venues such as food trucks or pop-up stores. No such laws exist in Australia, however it is common for some stores to accept cash only, whilst many may charge a processing fee for card transactions. Some cafes have moved to an electronic-only model, for example, Pope Joan, which was then located in Melbourne's inner north, now in Melbourne CBD. They moved away uh, from uh, cash in 2017 following a string of break-ins. At the time, owner Matt Wilkinson was quoted in Fairfax as saying that cash handling cost him around $270 each week. So... Keep in mind that Australia and America socioeconomically are two very different uh, landscapes. Sure. In Australia, it's very easy for anyone to wander into a bank and get a, a bank account set up. Uh, I can see how people on the lower end, like homeless people and so forth, may have trouble because you do need a physical address and so forth uh, to get a bank account. But it's not difficult to get a bank account established mm-hmm. in Australia. In America, it is actually quite difficult for people to establish financial um, services. Yes. So I can kind of see uh, why um, it is a problem for people oh, over absolutely. there. And I do see their point, but at the same time, my position is it shouldn't be up to lawmakers to decide how a business chooses to operate. As long as it's not discriminatory, like if, if, as long as the business isn't saying, we don't want people who are paying cash because you're POVO, and we don't want the likes of you in our store. If they say it's a business decision because it's easier for us to go with cash only or with electronic methods only, that's our our decision. It shouldn't be for the um, government to to say, no, you can't do that. Yeah.
3: Look, look, I... Where where do we sit? I sort of... I see both sides of the argument. Um, I... See the the, the thing I, I think the thing I get frustrated with in Australia is businesses that um, continue to charge surcharges on credit card transactions, and we're talking reasonable or unreasonable or just
1: a fee at all.
3: I think a fee. Um, you know, if you look at a you know computer store like MSY, not that I'm particularly pointing them at in particular because a lot of them do it. Um, they charge a two percent surcharge or something like that.
2: Just build it in. Oh, what about Aldi? As well, Aldi's one that charges extra. The, for... the one I'll
3: give thing I'll give Aldi is that they have actually reduced their surcharge over the years mm. as they negotiate better rates. <clears throat> um, they, um, so th- so they they're good from that perspective. Um, but you know,
2: just do it. Um, what would, would the bigger issue or sort of like is the hidden issue more the bank side of things because. The business should have some, I mean, cash is instant, it's easy to to, to, to handle and stuff compared to, you know, not a, totally difficult to handle electronic payments. But my point being is that, you know, there's choice there, but it seems ultimately with the handling of cash or the handling of electronic transactions goes back to the bank. Because that, they're paying the bank in order to be trans, to to be converting these um, currencies.
3: Yeah, the thing that I think is interesting is that it's a government area that's actually mandating it. Hmm. Because traditionally, governments are all in favour of cashless transactions, and the reason for that is that they can
2: it, track. Yeah,
3: well, effectively, yes. Um, it get gets to a position where. Uh, cashless transactions uh, are more likely to be able to be audited for taxation purposes and ensures people pay the appropriate levels of tax. Um, so, you know, I can see the San Francisco um, government's point of, of saying, well, you know, there's potential for it to be discriminatory if you don't do it. Um, uh, cash is still, still, is,
2: uh, still a legal tender. Still
3: a legal tender. So I think businesses should, but I can also see why businesses are moving away from it because as, the uh, Pope Joan owner in Melbourne uh, said uh, it costs him money to manage that cash. He's got to go and take it to the bank. He's got to count it. He's got to check his till. Whereas electronic transactions, he presses a button
1: and. Well, the till's we're going to balanced. assume uh, uh, it takes an hour to get to the bank and back. So it's a, a person's wage. Mm. And that's a person, uh, you know, you're paying them to travel to the bank and, yeah. and back, that they're, they're not on site doing normal duties and so forth. So again, we see his point, you know, it cost him money yeah. and. It's the hassle of not he's been broken into three times uh, as of 2017. It's just easier.
3: And and I also think that your point, Andy, of the banking systems in Australia and the United States are very different, even further than just having a bank account. It's, mm-hmm. uh, the, the interoperability between banks is not as the same as it is here. There's still a higher usage of check and things like that as well. So um, I think that that's part of um, – you know, the concerns in the United States. Whereas here, you know, we've got the new payments platform and most of the banks are on board now. You can transfer money to different banks instantly.
2: Anytime. Mm.
1: Exactly. But I think we're right also about the processing fee. I Mm. I tend to avoid uh, any store that charges a a fee to process credit cards. Um, To be fair, a lot of them have now complied with the legal requirement to only... Charge what it cost them to process, yeah. so a lot of them used to charge a flat one dollar fee, or you know it was a three or four percent surcharge, mm. so now a lot of them are only you know one percent or whatever um, I did have found that a couple of places have just just decided to do a, do away with it altogether um, the way I look at it you go say you go to a restaurant, and let's be fair, restaurants operate on a fairly low margin. Anyway, but you go to a restaurant on a hot day. They have the air conditioning turned on. It's costing them money to run that air conditioning. Mm. Do they charge a surcharge because the air conditioning's turned on? No. What do they do? They factor that, the electricity, into their price. So they should be factoring the processing cost of your payment into the price
3: as well. I totally, totally agree. Simple as that. And, um, you know, you... (sighs) Yeah, I just, I find it frustrating. The one, you know, the one place that I find it most frustrating paying a fee is at Crown. We've been to a couple of restaurants at Crown, Um, particularly um, like a few years ago, we went to Dinner by Heston, which mm. was a very expensive meal. Mm. No hope in hell. I was paying that in cash. I'm paying that on card and I had to pay a credit card fee.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um. I was thinking maybe these, these cash-only places should have, like, their own ATMs as well. Well, they That's do, funny. but guess
3: what? They own them, and you
1: pay a fee to use that ATM. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're
2: with ING, who you rebates your yeah.
1: ATM fees. Yes. Anyway, and ING, not a sponsor. But question, you said you paid on credit card. Mm. Was that Visa, MasterCard, or Amex? Probably would have been Amex. Okay. Because keep in mind that uh, Amex processing fees are actually really expensive for merchants. Um. But they charged that on any... So they charged the same fee on any card
3: at that particular venue.
1: What charged <clears throat> you? or what Yeah, so they? they
3: passed on the credit card surcharge fee. They said any credit card was 1.5% or thereabouts. So it didn't matter which card.
1: They're probably absorbing some of the costs for Amex. Yeah, but the other
3: interesting thing is that in Amex, like we're an Amex cardholder and our redemption value on points has... Um, Dropped. So what we get for points that we accrue has recently decreased, mm. and one of the reasons for that is that Amex have seen the tide of the, the seen the the tide of their public opinion, and they're now uh, they've reduced their points program because they're going out to negotiate lower charge fees to try and get more acceptance.
2: Yeah, there was an interesting story or video from Vox Media talking about they interviewed a guy who was one of these like points hacks. The people mm. that that uh, take advantage of credit card points and so forth, and there was an interesting development in Europe that there's they've put an actual limit on how much you can charge for the transaction fee percentage, and because of that, we've they've said they've seen a lot of the points plans with credit cards on in that continent that it's been reduced because obviously they can't have, the, the the way. And correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but the the way that the, a lot of the points systems work with credit cards is they get a bit of money from the transaction fees, and they use those fees from the merchants to pay for your flights and other sort of. Well, so the,
3: the so so the interesting thing, and I know that we're diverging, but um, they they've sort of bought that in in Australia. Mm. What it is was that you could have, say, for example, I had I have a Westpac Altitude Black Card. Um, and if I had also a Westpac low rate card, the bank could charge different transaction fees depending on the type of card that was uh, used at the transaction yeah. so for a low rate card they might charge two percent but for a high rate card they can charge three percent so or amex cards and things like that and the banks um, the fed the uh, reserve bank and the federal government bought in a flat. You can't charge varying rates depending on the card when you're a bank. So Westpac got rid of the Amex card, and they went to just a MasterCard. And so I've now gone to an Amex card. But because Amex is not a bank, they could charge higher rates because they weren't covered under banking rules. But because they've had people drop off using the Amex, they're having to reduce their fees to get in line to get customers back.
2: There you go
1: we have to wrap this one up. Um, yep. Just uh, some uh, uh, something from a story we're not going to be doing tonight, but it is relevant because uh, we're running out of time. Uh, NAB uh, revealed uh, this week that it has um, uh, culled almost 2,000 automatic telemachines uh, Australia-wide over the past 12 months. And according to a financial report that it released uh, as of the end of March, it now has only 926 ATMs across the country, which is not a lot.
3: No, and, and I thought I think when they announced that you wouldn't have to pay a fee when you went to a, another major bank machine, that was due to
1: happen.
2: That was because that was it cut ties with the ready ATMs, didn't it? Yeah, there's yeah. a few other
1: things involved there too. Now we're going to do one very quick uh, Apple story. We haven't got a lot of time to spend on this one. Uh, but Apple have convinced the court to dismiss a lawsuit which would have seen them uh, liable for a group FaceTime bug. The lawsuit, which was filed by Texan lawyer Larry Williams II, claimed the FaceTime bug was unreasonably dangerous and that Apple knew of the issue but failed to take the necessary steps to counter it. Williams, who filed the action the day after the vulnerability was made public, was seeking unspecified punitive damages against Apple for negligence and warranty breach. The court found that whilst the suit may have had some merit, Williams had not demonstrated that Apple knew of the vulnerability or that Apple could have reasonably foreseen the problem. The bug, which was first discovered in January, allowed users to eavesdrop on other people by initiating a group FaceTime call and following a specific sequence of steps. The vulnerability allowed someone to hear a call recipient's audio even if they rejected the incoming FaceTime request. Apple responded by temporarily disabling the group FaceTime feature on iOS and macOS, and it was patched in February with iOS 12.1.4. Group FaceTime remains unavailable to anyone using an earlier version of iOS. So basically, uh Texan lawyer Larry Williams II is an ambulance tracer. He sure is. Yeah. Kinda see his point, but I think um <clears throat> Yeah. Taking... just wants the money. He wants In the, the money. Anyway. So boo to you, Texan Boom. lawyer, Larry Williams II. Anyway, you are listening to Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM 3WBC, and we'll be back with more after this.
0: Geeks Interrupted, as classy as that old shoebox under your bed.
1: That's right, we're very classy. Geeks Interrupted on 94.1 FM 3WBC. Before we go on, just a couple of comments from the chat room. Uh, We were talking a moment ago uh, about San Francisco and uh, they've introduced a law to uh, ban stores from only accepting electronic payments, uh, forcing them to accept cash. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Rebecca says businesses should be free to fail based on the types of payments they accept. Mm. So, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Cloinker, on the other hand, says uh, he doesn't pay in cash or in electronic means. He instead chooses to pay in kittens. Meow. Yeah. And I think uh, I pointed out to him that Kittens is actually a strip club. Mm, So Kittens dollars. In Kittens dollars. Kittens bucks. Yes.
3: Which you can only pay for with credit card. No, I'm joking.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Um, And I don't need to ask Google Maps where Kittens is because it already knows. (laughs) It's already told me.
3: Um, Yes. The... Uh, the other thing I was going to mention, which I mentioned to Daniel during the break, was um, I actually went to a, a restaurant and a shopping centre recently that offered you a discount for paying in cash, which to me says they're either doing something. To me, working where I work, it raises red flags.
1: Yeah. Uh, what sort of cuisine did they have? Um. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know where I'm going with that. I'm not going to say it. Anyway, let's get on.
3: Kittens um, is a thing we were just talking
1: about. Indeed. Uh, Anyway, we got... If you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, Entertainment and pop culture news now. uh, As we end, uh, head towards the end of tonight's program, Uh, some sad news to start off with. Uh, Actress Peggy Lipton has died at the age of 72. Lipton starred as Julie Barnes in 1968's The Mod Squad, a role which earned her four Emmy nominations and a Golden Globe Award in 1970, and she later appeared as Norma Jennings in Twin Peaks. Prior to her acting career, Lipton was a model, something she started at the age of 15. In 1974, Lipton married musician and producer Quincy Jones, and the couple had two daughters together, Rashida Jones and Kadada Jones, both of whom went on to their own acting careers. Lipton died of colon cancer, for which she was diagnosed back in 2004. Mm. Sad news. Indeed. One very thing is, um, I mean, obviously I know of Peggy Lipton from uh, Mod Squad and, and Twin Peaks. Um, I kind of shocked to learn that she was 72. Yeah. Didn't look it. No, not at all. Mm. Mm. Very, very, uh, very, very sad news there. So, Indeed. Mm. Yeah.
2: Uh, anyway, onto some uh, happy news. Uh, just d- d- the to... d- opinion. Oh, oh, it depends on the article. I won't interrupt. Continue. Uh huh. <laughs> well, I'm going to do uh,
1: Game of Thrones first. Ah, uh, okay. Because yeah. I, I kind of get the impression Phil won't shut up about the Footy Show. Uh, so maybe. Yeah. Uh, last week's episode of Game of Thrones featured an unlikely and unexpected cameo: a Starbucks coffee cup. Whilst not front and centre, the takeaway coffee cup was spotted by viewers atop a table featuring a number of the show's characters. It was initially believed the cup had been deliberately planted by Sophie Turner, who plays Sansa Stark. However, Amelia Clark, who portrays Mother of Dragons Daenerys Targaryen, re- revealed the cup was actually hers, and that she'd simply forgotten to hide it after resuming from a break in shooting. Starbucks later took advantage of the blunder and joked about the appearance on its social media feeds. And by Wednesday, HBO had digitally removed the coffee cup and it no longer appears in streamed versions of the show via its platform. Season 8 of Game of Thrones is the final in the show's run and brings the storyline to a close. The season has not been a favourite for fans as it was revealed that uh, the instalment
2: was the lowest rating season to date.
1: So did we hear about the Starbucks uh, cup yeah, making appearance? Yeah, yes. I saw
2: saw, saw all the memes and jokes about it on and quite online.
3: funnily on the weekend. Amelia Clark was at a basketball game uh, in the NBA in the US, <clears throat> and the mascot um, playing a bit of a prank um, during one of the breaks was because she was sitting courtside. Was walking along with a coffee cup, and uh, as he noticed her, faux, faux shocked noticed her. He threw the coffee cup in the air as a bit of a <laughs> a nod to the issue. <laughs> It was mm. quite funny.
1: One thing I'm very impressed with, though, is how quickly um, HBO or it's, you know or it's whatever company they use has managed to remove the coffee cup so quickly. Because, mm. uh, how can I put it? It, As I said, it wasn't front and centre, but it wasn't hidden. Have you seen a screenshot? Yeah. yeah, I have.
2: Yeah, you kind of had to look to notice. Like, it was oh, quite a on, dimly that... lit shot. Yeah.
1: So someone has... Has really cocked up in continuity, and/or one of the ads has cocked up and not seen it. Mm. And it kind of surprises me that it's gone through editing and post production, and no one's picked it up. Absolutely, but still impressive how quickly they've—you know—Monday night, well, Monday night our time. So basically, within 24 hours, HBO have managed to digitally remove the coffee cup. I can
3: imagine them in the HBO offices with Microsoft Paint, just doing
1: just blur, blur mode. (laughs) Yeah. They've done well. But, uh, yeah. So, well, on to Starbucks for getting the
2: free advertising. That's right. They're going mm. to keep it historically accurate.
1: Did you see, very quickly, did not.
2: you
3: see the other cock up last week? What? Someone finally discovered that there was a the spelling mistake on the $50 notes.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. What was, it, what was the value of that? I like wonder sort of who's going to take responsibility for
3: that. Responsibility. And, uh, I saw today that, uh, Snickers is doing a, um, a bit of a, uh, a, Piggybacking on that, doing some advertising and saying uh, um, SHT happens, <laughs> which I thought, you know, you shouldn't work while you're angry or hungry or something. Shoot
2: happens. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, on to our final story for yes. this week. Uh, the Footy Show. The show we've all come to love, I think. Uh, well, Channel 9 have axed the footy show after 25 years on air. The network made the surprise announcement uh, late last week, saying the program had ended production immediately and Thursday night's episode would be the last. Originally hosted by Eddie Maguire and Sam Newman, the Footy show first aired in 1994, quickly becoming one of the most popular programs on free-to-air TV. Nine revamped the show for its 2019 season, however the new format, with new hosts, failed to win over viewers. Just 53,000 people tuned in last week, compared to 278,000 viewers for Seven's The Front Bar. The footy show's rugby league version was cancelled by Nine last year for similar reasons. That show had also undergone a revamp, but had failed to draw viewers. Now, this is something that's probably been a long time coming. I did read today, I didn't get a chance to throw in the show notes, uh, that Channel 9 uh, uh, produced a pilot for a... New footy show format So clearly they had you know, This was on their radar For quite a while mm. I haven't seen the 2019 version of the footy show So I'm guessing it's very It's a low budget version of what the footy show was Originally
2: Well, looking, I haven't I haven't watched it either But looking at the Have you seen it Phil? Oh, I've seen bits of it
3: I I sort of stopped watching the footy show some time ago yeah. um, not, Not out of distaste for the show I just was busy and doing other things um, they clearly were going for uh, a cheaper talent version. Yeah, not not necessarily worse, not as cheaper. Worse. No,
2: but um,
3: but I think in some respects the Footy Show has actually been a victim of its own success. So uh, when the Footy Show started, obviously there was no such thing as Thursday Night Football, and so on and so forth. Um, Channel Seven tried to do a, a number of different shows that never worked, um, and it continued to win the
2: ratings. And if I'm right, like a lot of the other of- traditional sort of footy shows, like a better term, but as in like not this one itself. But a lot of them more focused on the technical aspects or being a bit more serious, whereas maybe giving a bit too much credit, but like the footy show with any maguire and Sam Newman was a bit more fun and be a bit well, more, more of a variety well, program.
3: Yeah. It was well b- the thing the thing was when the footy show started, you didn't have you had Foxtel, but you didn't have Fox footy. Yeah. So you didn't have a wall-to-wall channel that just talked footy the whole time. You also didn't have footy on a Thursday night. And as we sort of know, a Thursday night, even though you've got a day of work left, it's sort of start of the weekend. Yeah. So I think there was that element to it. You found out the team, um, the teams for the weekend ahead, whereas now, you know, Channel 7 have the rights to talk about the teams on their news ahead of time and things like that. Um But as I said, I think the footy show is a victim of its own success in the sense that the AFL, I think, have 10 or 12 weeks this year where they actually have got football on a Thursday night. Mm. So the footy show is like, well, we're not going to go up against the football, so then you're pushing it to a Wednesday night, and is it redundant? Um, I think the footy show survived because in the northern states, the NRL play Thursday night footy every week, and Channel 9 broadcast that, so they needed something to fill in the Melbourne South Australia, Western Australia time slots. But it's an expensive show that didn't work.
2: And I think another thing too, I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong if I'm probably not seeing this the right way, I think society and our sort of attention to this has changed. Like looking at the footy show in a 2019 perspective, it is a very blokey, very sort of – Flamboyant sort of show, whereas uh, for me, my and like, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it when I was young, when I was younger, but then I kind of got a bit bored with it. But I can look at it, their competitor, the front bar, and actually sit down and watch the whole show and actually enjoy that because it is entertaining, it is informative,
3: and the front the front bar takes a different angle. Uh, angle to sure.
2: it.
1: Isn't that just more? I, I've never seen it. I've seen a few clips, but it comes across more as just some people sitting around having a casual chat. As opposed to the footy show. It would be a much cheaper show to produce. Mm.
3: But the thing is the front bar, the front bar was always like started off as a low budget thing. It's produced by Mick Malloy, but it was produced as a web show for the AFL website. Mm. And then channel uh, seven decided we'll put it on after the footy on a Friday night. And then they went, well, we'll put it on during, you know, on a Thursday night against the footy show. And I think, what Channel 9 tried to do with the footy show was right, but I think they did it too late. They should have completely revamped the footy show two or three years ago and allow it to get a foothold in before they got other competition. But people had left it, so they weren't going to come back. Um, I think Channel 9 also were going to have issues later in the year because while they've lost the rights to domestic cricket, um, they do still have the rights for the Ashes and the Cricket World Cup that's on this year for four months effectively in the UK. So therefore they'd be playing games on the, you know, like there'd be a lot of broadcasts on a Thursday night when the footy show would be on as well. So I think that the footy show is always going to be struggling to do anything this year. But Channel and 9. just put it out of its misery.
2: But as competition, Channel 9 will do a variance of an AFL footy program.
3: Um, I don't think you'll see something the same way that the footy show was again.
1: Mm. But I've, if I'm right, at the height of its popularity, the footy show was damn near impossible to get tickets for. Oh, as an yeah. Audience and it
3: was, still in, it was still hard many years later. I mean, in, in the late 90s, the footy show, one in three people um, in Melbourne watched the footy show. Yeah. So a third of Melbourne were watching the footy show. That's massive. Mm.
1: Just very really quickly, because Dan, Daniel mentioned um, – you said it was a very blokey show or something, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Didn't at some point they have a woman host? Yeah, that would
2: have been the last few years. Well, so they, they had
3: Rebecca Madden came on in mm-hmm. 2016, I think it was. But then the new incarnation had Neroli Meadows. was from Fox Footy on there as well. But I, I look, I don't think – the footy show I honestly don't think was axed because of its content because I actually think that the new direction no, from what no, I saw do it.
2: I don't think the content was a bad thing, but I, I guess what I'm – suggesting is that the reason it's not not saying that was bad what the content wanted was the fact that the audience were probably preferring to watch something like the front bar and the footy show i th- i
3: think that but also it was a show expensive show to make and you're not even broadcasting it to a sydney and brisbane audience mm. and the fact is that the viewership of tv has dropped Of sorry, free to air TV has dropped significantly in general. So it's not just systematic of the show. I think so. When you're taking trying to get a chunk of a smaller pie anyway,
1: piece Mm. of pie anyway, it's going to be tough. Anyway, that's the footy show, Rip the Footy Show. Yep. And that's entertainment for this week on Geeks Interrupted.
0: Listen to Geeks Interrupted every Monday night at 8pm, only on 94.1 FM 3WBC. Or, don't, I'm getting paid for this voiceover either way.
1: Well, oh, it's Geeks Interrupted, almost time for us to clear out of the studio and hand over the keys to the control panel to Melissa Fistrick and her show Fizzy Nights. No, 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 we're not going Fizzy Nights, I'm going to make up a new version of her show every week, oh, okay. like we did with the... Um, um, the
3: Cordon VFL um,
1: VFL Rewind uh, This week it's Midday With Ray And Melissa Cool Ganesh you used to be Midnight M- with Mel Midday with Ray Yes
2: Yeah I think uh, that's right I still don't get it That's okay mm. There used to be
1: this uh, There's this man called Ray well, Martin Whoa Whoa
2: Whoa
3: You've lost me at This minute I love the Midday show <laughs> What I love the Midday show
1: <laughs> Okay are you, I was, are, you, I was, are you a 75-year-old woman? Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> when I was a kid, you, we'd, we'd go to school. I, I'm into variety shows. When I was a kid, we'd go to school and they'd say, what's your favorite program? And all the kids would be like Sesame Street,
2: mm-hmm. play Bat school Batman, Batman.
3: Mine was the Mike Walsh show. <laughs>
1: Just wow. very quickly, in the chat room, I think it was last week, um, Rebecca actually made a logo for Melissa's program. Yes. So we might have to get that over to, I will. to Melissa. It's actually pretty good. Uh, it says uh, Fizzy Nights, Monday 10 p.m. till midnight on 3WBC. Cool. Well done. Thanks, for Looking
2: forward to their reviews of fizzy drinks. Exactly.
1: Well, it's almost time for us to get out of here. In fact, it is time for us to get out of here. We have to thank everybody who joined us in the chat room tonight. A Green Cow, LG, Cloinker, and uh, Collider. Uh, Thank you again. We shall see you next week, we hope. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, thank, Phil. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Right, thank you. We've got eighteen seconds to fill before Voiceover Man comes in. Blah 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 blah. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: exactly. Stick around for Melissa Fistrick and, and friends. I don't know her friend's name. I'm sorry, Mel. But yeah, stick around for that. Good show. And here's Voiceover Man. Naree.
0: Alright. Bye, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the Geeks Interrupted podcast with Phil Edwards, Andy Bloom, and Daniel Olivares. You can send your questions, comments, and feedback via geeksinterrupted.fm and catch the team on social media at Geeks On Air on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeksinterrupted. Don't forget to recommend us to your family and friends. Geeks Interrupted broadcasts each week from the studios of 94.1 FM 3WBC in Box Hill, Victoria. To check out more great community radio content, visit three wbc.org.au
1: sees they love to me. Put on the telly.
3: To the BBC to the BBC.
4: Face
2: 94.1 It's a good-looking kick. A Birth of the Enzeckly. Free wbc invites you to join our community radio family. You can learn new skills as a presenter, producer, or administrator, or perhaps you'd prefer to enjoy the social aspects.
0: Memberships are also available for families and corporations you can become part of a powerful local voice. For more information, go to www.3wbc.org.au and click on the membership link or call us
2: during business hours on 9285
1: 4846. 3WBC 94.1, the voice of the inner east.